All right, so we've been looking at Hebrews 13, and uh, let's see, we're at these two verses, which concludes a section of Hebrews 13, verses 15 and 16. Therefore, by him, so you see the word therefore, so we've come to this place, which is saying that Christ has come. Christ has provided for our atonement. Everything that we saw in the work of the priest and the high priest, the temple, the sacrifices, all of that has now been fulfilled by what God has done for us in his son, Jesus Christ. So therefore, by him, our Lord, our Savior, our Messiah, our sacrifice, our high priest, Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And then the next, Lord willing, next time we'll look at verse 16. So there are two main ways that we offer our God spiritual sacrifices. That is, through our lips, and verse 16 would be through our lives. We've been talking about the praise that comes from our lips. So Jesus is the high priest and the once-for-all sacrifice, which means now as we believe in Jesus and are brought together with Jesus in union with Christ to be his people, we become his temple and we become his priesthood and we offer up our lives as we live in this world as spiritual sacrifices to him, which means we've learned that all of life is worship for the believer. So life for you and for me is worship. Every bit of it, every moment of it, all of it. And only the believer in Christ has the right to worship. Nobody else has the right to worship because nobody has the access to God or the acceptance with God. Because of sin, uh, no human being's worship is acceptable to God, but only rejected. But because our sins are forgiven and we've been washed and cleansed and we're justified with the righteousness of God by faith, not our own righteousness, therefore we have complete access to God through the blood of Christ, it's said in the Bible, through the Holy Spirit. So we are that priesthood. We are that people of God. So our right to worship turns our whole life into an act of worship and a life of worship. And remind you of uh, Romans 12, verse 1. We've looked at it. I don't need us to turn to it, but let me remind you of it. It says, therefore, my beloved brethren, um, by the mercies of God, that means by the gospel, by Jesus Christ, it's similar to what's going on here, by what Jesus Christ has done for us, I beseech you, therefore, to present your bodies living sacrifices, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable worship. So Paul is saying, now that Christ has done what he has done, and you have been born again and added to his family, God's people, now your whole life is to be lived as a priest, offering yourself, your body, and everything that means, all of you, to God as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God. So you see, 
Paul says it in the words that he uses. The author of Hebrews says it in the words that he uses. They're coming at it from a couple of different perspectives, but it's really the fruit of the gospel. The result of the gospel is that now we are God's people, not just on Sunday when we get together like this, not just when we stop and pray, but we're God's people and everything about our lives is meant to be offered to God, living our whole lives for Christ. Like we sang in that opening hymn, living for Jesus, a life that is true, uh, living for him and all that we do. So our lips and our lives. And last week we did start with lips. Today I want to finish out with that. So here where it says in verse 15, therefore by him, Let us continually, notice the word continually, all day long, every day, 24-7, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. Now, he defines what that is, the fruit of our lips. So notice what he's talking about here is our words, our prayers, our praises, our thanksgiving, what we say we believe and how we conduct ourselves And it's especially here, the context of worshiping God. It takes the way, let's say, the Jews would have have worshipped in the synagogue, and before them, the Israelites would have worshipped at the temple. And it's also followed up by early believers when we read their writings. And, of course, they're coming from the the Word of God here, Scripture, that, that we find our times where we gather for worship very special very sacred, very important, and we love to gather together to sing God's praises, to offer our thanksgivings uh, to praise him. It's one of the reasons why when we pray, we have on our prayer list, we have, um, how do we put it? It's at the top, uh, huh? Pray, yeah, praise for God's answers to our prayers, which would include our thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord, for answering that prayer. We, we don't want to ignore that or forget that or overlook that because, you know, if God, you pray to God and you walk away and forget whether he ever answered your prayer or not, I think that's, that's rude for one thing and it's ungrateful for another thing. So a lot of people, what they'll do is they'll keep track of their prayer requests and they'll also keep track of their prayer answers. And then sometimes when it seems that God's not listening and things are hard for you, you can pull that record out and look through it again and say, oh, I remember, yeah, yeah. okay, Lord, I, I can still wait. I'll wait upon you, Lord. I'll trust in you as I live my life uh, instead of moaning and groaning and feeling like, well, I guess God doesn't love me anymore. So worship then is praise and it's thanksgiving. And this is especially praise and thanksgiving in response to God's grace. Now, I want to ask you the question, is there ever a time when you have no reason to give God praise and thanksgiving. It's impossible. Once you receive the grace of God through faith in Christ, once you've been born into God's family and you realize Jesus Christ died for you, and it wasn't because you asked for it, it wasn't because you made it happen, God sovereignly and freely and graciously sent his son to rescue us then no matter how tough life gets, no matter how many things go wrong, the cross is always there before you. I have loved you 
with an everlasting love. I have sent my son. Jesus speaks to your heart and he says, I loved you and I gave myself for you. I purchased you. I made you mine. I created you. You were mine from the very beginning. But you went astray. You rebelled. You went off. But what I did was I came and I died for you to purchase you and bring you back to myself so that you would be mine forever and I would be yours forever. We always have reason then to give praise and thanksgiving to God on that basis. And also our praise and our worship and our thanksgiving uh, is about declaring the greatness of God. The greatness of God in creation the greatness of God in his nature and being and his character, and the greatness of God in redeeming us, saving us. What greater thing could God have done than what he has done by sending his son, his own son, Jesus Christ, into the world to make that once-for-all final sacrifice for us? And that's, of course, what he's actually written here in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 10 to 14. Now look at that again. Must never forget this. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. So when Hebrews was written, it looks very much like the temple in Jerusalem was still standing. People were going in and out. The priests there were still ministering. Sacrifices of animals were still being presented to God. And he's saying, that altar, it's over. It's finished. That temple, it's, it's pointless because Christ came and he finished the sacrifices. And remember what happened when Christ died. The veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom. That should have been a clue. But there were many who still rejected Jesus, and they continued to do that, um, that kind of old covenant worship there. But our, tabernacle, our food and drink, they have no right to it. And perhaps he's referring to uh, partly the Lord's Supper. You know, when we have the Lord's Supper, we, we stop and we warn people. This table and this bread and this cup is for believers who are walking with the Lord. And if you're not a believer, please refrain from taking it. If you're a believer and you're following the Lord, you're welcome to the table. If you're a believer but you know that you're not walking with the Lord and you're doing your own thing, you need to, you need to get that uh, squared away with the Lord before you can take from the Lord's Supper. But the biggest, the biggest point here is that, you know, Israel was eating and drinking. They will eat some things and not other things, right? They have a whole um, menu, you know, clean and unclean. And, and they were very concerned about what they would eat and drink. And that was mentioned uh, by the writer here earlier. Um, he says in verse 9, Don't be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it's good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. Then he goes on, he says here, we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. And it might be a little confusing, uh, but let me remind you that some sacrifices were completely burned on the altar, but other sacrifices, part of it was burned, part of it was given to the priest to eat, and part of it was given to the people making the sacrifice to eat. So they would there would be this partaking of the altar. But that altar now is finished. And if anybody's arguing you're not allowed to eat this or you have to still do this, if it's old covenant worship, you've got to stop. We have an altar. It's, it's an altar that we have the right to eat. And it's eating, nourishing God's, uh, God's nourishing grace and through his words for us. 
Then he says in verse 11, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp, which was a picture of Jesus coming, being rejected, and being crucified outside the camp, and his body outside where um, it was put into the tomb. So he says, therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. And remember, again, many of the believers here he's writing to had, had problems. They were struggling with whether Jesus was really the Messiah, and they were, some of them had stopped gathering with the people of God, maybe going back to the synagogue. And he's saying, no, 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 Jesus was rejected. He's outside the camp. We don't go back there now. We go outside the camp, just like him. We follow Jesus, no matter what the cost, no matter what the expense, no matter what the suffering, no matter what the persecution and rejection. And then uh, verse uh, 12, Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the camp. Therefore let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. So that city, Jerusalem, was finished in terms of its spiritual sacrifice. The city we're looking forward to is yet to come. And we live waiting for that city to come by faithfully following Jesus Christ. So he then he goes on and he says, By him then, therefore, we continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Now, did you notice that this can't be limited to the Lord's Day worship? You see that? Verse 15, Therefore by him let us continually offer the, uh, offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, um, giving thanks to his name, continually. Now, we might gather together on Sunday morning, or like we are here tonight, Sunday night, or on another occasion perhaps, but it's an hour, it's an hour and a half, whatever it might be. But this is continually. So again, the picture of it is that I don't limit my praise to God to an hour a week or even five hours a week or 10 or 20 hours a week or 40 hours a week, like I, I might work 40 hours a week. But I offer God praise and thanksgiving 24-7 all day long, all throughout the day. Now you say, how could anybody do that? Well, that's something you've got to pray about. You've got to ask God's help about. Sure, it's hard because there's still sin in us and we've got other things we need to do. But what you begin to realize is that everything you do can be an act of thanksgiving and praise to God. It's your attitude. Get up in the morning, start by saying, Lord, today I want to give you praise and thanksgiving. Thank you that I'm even awake, that you know I didn't come down with some horrible uh, disease or uh, the place didn't burn down around me. You know, the, terrible things happen in this world. So, Lord, today, and today, Lord, I've got some challenges ahead of me or some things that I'm really not looking forward to or some things I'm really looking forward to. Today's come. Today we're going to go do this, and I've been looking forward to doing this. Thank you, Lord, that this day has come, and you've given me health enough to enjoy it, uh, maybe finances to, um, uh, to make the most of it. But begin to practice praise and thanksgiving and maybe ask those that you are close to, to remind you, to help you. Maybe every once in a while you get a text or a call. How have you been doing today? Have you been giving God that 24-7 praise? And, oh, yeah, you're right. Thank you so much for reminding me. That's, that's what the members of the body of Christ are supposed to do. We're supposed to encourage one another, exhort one another, remind one another. So there, 
we're to, we're to do this um, um, 24-7, not just uh, once a week or so. Now, I want to finish with this. Here's something you probably have never thought of. And what I call this now is that Jesus is the ultimate worship leader. He's the high priest, right? He is the chief apostle. Um, He is the good shepherd. He is the chief shepherd. If you're an elder or an overseer, you're an under-shepherd because Christ is the chief shepherd. He's the the, the, uh, good shepherd of the whole flock, right, in a way that no human shepherd or pastor is. But think about this. Jesus is the ultimate worship leader. In order for us to see this, we have to go back to an earlier place in Hebrews. Look at Hebrews chapter 2. Verses 10 to 13. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Now, what's, what's going on here? Well, let me put it this way. Let me identify the pronouns. For it was fitting for God the Father, for whom all things and by whom all things are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make Jesus Christ the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies that is Jesus Christ, and those who are being sanctified, that is us, are all of one. What that means is Jesus Christ became human in order to be our sacrifice. And he came and he gave his life for us humans, men and women, made in God's image, so that we could all be brought together as one people of God by his coming, his sacrifice, and so on. And then he says, for which reason... He, Jesus Christ, is not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. We're the family of God. Saying, and here he quotes from Psalm 22. Any of you know anything about Psalm 22? Well, let me read this first. I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. Psalm 22 is a messianic psalm. It begins by saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Remember that song? It depicts Christ's sufferings, but it also moves to the result of those sufferings, which is, yes, he was forsaken by God because he was dying for our sins, and just as because of our sin we're separated and rejected, but he received our sins in himself and the wrath of God And by that, we are spared the wrath of God and made acceptable to God through faith in Jesus Christ. And so it says that when Jesus was finished his work of salvation, it says, I will declare your name, Father, to my brethren, my brothers and sisters, the family of God. And in the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. Christ is the ultimate psalm singer or song singer. He comes and he finishes the work of salvation, suffering greatly 
for us in himself. And then he bursts forth in songs of praise to God and leads us to join with him in singing songs of praise to God now that we're redeemed, now that we're saved. And it says, and again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I, says Jesus, and the children whom God the Father has given me. So Psalm 22. So let's look at Psalm 22 for just a moment. And as we do, can you tell me the name of somebody who wrote many, many, many of the Psalms? David, right? David was a type of Christ. He was a messianic figure who was pointing to Christ's coming. And he loved to create music. He loved to play instruments. He loved to sing. And he created many, many songs in the Hebrew language. And that's what we have in the psalm book. Now, there's other authors of some of the other psalms, but he's principally the one who's known as the psalm writer and the psalm singer. But as a type of Jesus Christ, he's pointing to Jesus as the one who loves the psalms and loves to sing the psalms to God. And I believe that when Jesus was born and began to grow up, he was learning the psalms. And he was singing the psalms and reciting the psalms. I I believe that Jesus Christ probably had them all memorized. I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be surprised if he had them all sem- uh, memorized. So on the cross, Jesus was thinking about his father and why he came and what was going on so that he could use the Psalms to cry out to God, like Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? What's the answer? Because you're charged with the sins of God's people. And you must suffer separation from God. You must suffer the just wrath of God. You must pay the price. And so you cannot be helped. You are forsaken so that those who trust in Christ will never be forsaken. He says in verse 2, Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, and am not silent. And it goes through like that. Look at verse 17. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. He ends up with nothing. Everything's taken from him. And he dies naked and bloody and battered. And where would they put his body if somebody hadn't come and said, I'll take the body and I'll put him in my own tomb? Because he didn't have anything. And then look at the end of verse 21. You have answered me. And verse 22. I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and fear him, all you offspring of Israel. And it goes on. Verse 25. My praise shall be of you in the great assembly. And just uh, read through all of that. And read this psalm later on when you get the chance, having this understanding. So David was the great psalm composer and psalm singer and musician. It was David, by the way, who established the choirs, the chorus for worship at the temple. Organized the singers and the musicians to come and offer praise to God with the people of God back in his day. He was a type of the Messiah. Now, one other place. Romans 15. Get a picture of this again there. Now, this is Paul the Apostle. Romans 15. In particular, verses 7 to 13. 
Now, there, there must have been some strife in Romans. Some of the believers in Rome uh, were not accepting other believers in Rome. And there was some controversy over things. What can you eat? What shouldn't you eat? Um, should you be a vegetarian? Or should you eat meat? Or what kinds of meat? Should you be able to drink alcohol or not? D different things were going on there. And they were disputing which day should you worship God on and so on. So he's exhorting them to receive one another. Verse 7. Uh, did I say Romans 15? Verse 7, okay. It says, therefore, receive one another, just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision. That would be his death provides salvation for the Jews. That's who the circumcision are. Uh, for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made to the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as is written. So you see what he's saying here is that Jesus Christ came, yes, to the Jew first, but also to the Gentile. And so in Christ, Jews and Gentiles are brought together into one family of God, one people of God, so that we can be praising him. See, Paul has that emphasis that Christ's salvation brings us together as God's people to praise him and worship him. So notice that in verse 9. And the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. For this reason, I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, laud him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall, he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles in him the Gentiles shall hope. Now, in verse 9, we have David. For this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name, the words of David. But David is a, is a type of Christ. And we saw in Psalm 22, the Messiah, when he was finished procuring our salvation, he bursts into praise. And when you receive his salvation, you burst into praise and thanksgiving. But then again in verse 10, we have Moses Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Imagine that. Moses, he knew that God was going to send a Messiah to save the Gentiles along with the Jews. Abraham did too, of course, we know that. And then in verse 11, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, laud him, all you peoples. And that's going back to the Psalms again, the Psalm singer, the Psalm writer. And then Isaiah confirms that it's actually the Messiah, verse 12. And again, Isaiah says, the great gospel prophet, there shall be a root of Jesse. Who comes from Jesse? David. Jesse was David's father. And he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So think of it this way. Right now, in glory, and if you want to see this, Revelation chapters 4 and 5, Jesus is the center of ongoing praise by all the saints that are already in his presence and by all the holy angels, the heavenly host. And yet for us, because of his salvation, he is the true worship leader. And he loves to sing the praises of God. And therefore we join together with him leading us through his salvation by faith and we join together to sing the praises of God. But not just sing a, a time of singing praise to God, but we now have reason 
as God's priests to be praising him and thanksgiving him and confessing our faith in him all day long, all day long. Your life lived in Christ is worship. What I mean by that is if you believe in Jesus Christ, you're in Christ. That means you're in union with Christ. He is our living head. We are united together to Christ by our faith and in the power of the Holy Spirit. We are one body in Christ, one family, sons and daughters of one Father, saved by one Savior, all of us filled with one Spirit, the triune God making us, all of us, his own. And so all of our lives are Spirit-filled. All of our lives are Christ-centered. All of our lives are meant to be sons and daughters living for our Father, obeying our Father through the power of God. So your life lived in Christ, your new life, your born-again life, lived in Christ is pure and simple. It's worship. So when is Jesus your Messiah? Trick question. When you come to faith, right? Not before. But when is Jesus your Messiah? All the time. So our praise and our worship must follow suit all the time. Praise and thanksgiving 24-7. Now, anything that's good from God is not going to come easy to us because of sin that remains in us. So again, I say, remind one another of this. Let's pray for one another. Let's, when we catch ourselves veering off, forgetting about the Lord, and I don't mean going off into sin, and you need to do this too if you go off into sin, but say, Spirit of God, help me to see where I'm at, to think about what I'm doing and, and to keep you at the center of my life. I want to be a, a Christ-centered man. I want to be a Christ-centered woman. So remind me, bring me back to this and let our fellowship as God's people. Now, some of you are in, involved in each other's lives, lives more than others. I mean, some of us know others better than others. Take this tonight, call to you to help your brothers and sisters. I, I'd appreciate it. I, I'd be glad. I get a text from somebody saying, 24-7, I'd say, amen, thank you. I, I need to be reminded of that, or you send that to somewhere. Whatever God would lead you to do, but doing it in love, doing it so that we would exhort one another, encourage one another, build one another up. So that's, that's your job. That's your responsibility. Praise and thanksgiving 24-7. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this encouragement. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you would rise up and begin to sing praises to your Father. And Lord, we want to join with you as you lead us in singing praises and actually offering you our sacrifice of praise with the fruit of our lips as well as our lives, day by day, moment by moment. Enable us to do this. Keep it on our hearts and minds, on the front burner, Lord, never on the back. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.